What's up, guys? Thank you for joining me. Welcome to the show. So he's back. The infamous Brett Jones, Director of Education at Strong First, joins me back on the podcast. This, I believe, is the fifth time I've connected with Brett on a podcast. So our framework is really just a conversation. We never know where it's going to go on this. Brett is still one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever had a chance to connect with. He's been a personal mentor and coach to me for over seven years. And every time I get a chance to talk with him, he just delivers so many amazing golden nuggets in such an easy and deliverable way that I always come out with more knowledge, more insights into things that I can develop in my strength. And I know you will too. So enjoy this episode. Uh, it goes in a lot of different directions, a lot of different topics that we went into, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So, all right, I'll get right to the show. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you on the inside. Here we are again. Brett, thank you for taking the time. It is always a blast to talk to you. Mike, fantastic to be on again, have the opportunity to talk to you and your audience. And uh, obviously, just a chance to chat with you is uh, always great. Absolutely. As I said, it's always a great day when I get a chance to connect with you. I think this is from the Breakthrough Secrets podcast. Now this, I think this is our fifth time connecting. So the, Sounds the right. yeah, so the agenda is very framework, but we'll kind of <laughs> play inside of that framework as much as we can. But you know, it's, it's always fun to, to chat with you. I was, you know, just thinking I've, I've known you for a long time. And the thing that I love talking about with you is just, you, you know, so many different languages and know how to connect them together from put the work and the experience in the rehab side, in the functional movement side, in the strength side with strong first, I'm able to kind of connect all of them together. Um, you know, I just always learned so much from you and I know the audience does as well. So, but thank you for taking the time and I really appreciate you jumping on. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. And I'm, I'm glad you clarified the different languages you were talking about there because <laughs> I'm not even good at the one language that I, that I do know. Muy bueno. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I've, I mentioned before, I just got a chance to listen to a great episode you did with Sifu Mimi Chan on her yes. podcast, which I know you two have connected quite a few times as well in it. Absolutely. And, uh, and chatted a lot about your your writing process. You know, I know mm-hmm. you've been doing articles for a long time and now working on this ebook, which I'm sure you're getting questions all the time of, of when do I get a chance to put my hands on it? Because I've got those questions on your behalf. <laughs> it too. Um, so to chat about your writing process, I think would be great. So first off, um, how is the ebook coming? Is it what? I don't know what draft it is right now, but I'm sure it's continuously in the process right now. So how's all that going? I've, I've lost track of uh, the, the, the number of drafts. Um, in fact, I've started labeling all of my documents with a date uh, so that I can very quickly look. Uh, if I keep the same title and I update the date, I very quickly know I'll, I'm, I'm, I need to work on the most recent date uh, in there. And uh, that's helped me from, from that standpoint. And then actually just kind of archiving and getting rid of old drafts not getting rid of, but getting them out of my visual range uh, so that I know that I'm working on the most recent thing. And yeah, it's um, I'm gaining a better appreciation for why people have such a hard time putting projects like this to bed. Uh, because if I run it by somebody and they come up with an idea, it's like, oh yeah, that would be great. Um, and now I'm just kind of reformatting the programming section, um, which is interesting to do because I'm basically trying to program a non-program. Right. So my my idea behind it is to be intuitive in your training and and work within this framework and have freedom 
you know, in some ways I feel like Morpheus, it's like free your mind. Right. Um, <laughs> let it all you know, go, Neil. Yeah. Let it go. The structure of you think that's air you're breathing. Right. Um, you know, just to kind of open people's minds to this idea that, uh, you know, you can be intuitive in, in your training. Um, so I'm restructuring the, 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 uh, the programming section. Once I'm done with that, I definitely plan on, there's a couple of other things that are in the background um, projects that are going to happen that I'm not going to, we'll save that for a future podcast, uh, absolutely. Uh, but it does tie into the, the iron cardio strength aerobics project. Yeah. And so once I get that done, you know, and, and like, I don't have enough going on, I'm actually trying to tie this new thing that I'm not going to talk about. Uh, plus the ebook, plus a website update, plus things that I'm doing for an app that I'm going to train clients through. Um, so I'm trying to coordinate all four right. to five of those things to get done for a future release date so that everything kind of hits at once. Um, and it's, it's opened up a couple of possibilities, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been interesting because, you know, I sat down and I'm like, oh, this will be easy. <sighs> right. <laughs> Is that, do you, do you think it, you kind of had that mindset because with an article, maybe it's different because there's like very specific points that you're kind of working on and kind of keep it within a thousand words or 1200 words where an ebook could be anywhere in a range of a lot of stuff. So you can always explore more avenues. You can always add another piece. It's kind of like the, you know, the department of mysteries in Harry Potter. It's like, once you open a door, it just opens up a whole realm of door. Is that kind of a little bit of the process of how this has gone for you? Definitely. Uh, you know, with an article, there's usually a very narrow focus. There's one, one to two, maybe one to three things that you're trying to cover. And in the article, you're trying to be very straightforward. Uh, you're trying to give definite takeaways. Hopefully anybody that's read through my articles, maybe not the 20 years, 20 observations article, because that was meant to be more philosophical and observational. Mm -hmm. um, but most of my other articles are very direct and very focused towards having a take home point that you can put into practice right away, whether that's a little bit of a program or a technique tip or something of that nature. So in that format, I am looking very direct, um, but in both formats, I'm, I, I want to be entertaining. Um, you know, it's, um, I, I remember sending a, an early copy of the ebook to Chris Hook, who's uh, an SFG and part of the Teachers of Strength and, and just he has a great perspective on this stuff. And I sent it to him and he's like, where's Brett Jones? He's like, where are you? Like, where are the movie quotes? Where are the jokes? Like, what, what happened? And like, my brain went book serious. And uh, people that know me are like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. Okay. Why, why would you be serious? Like, uh, you know, where's like, like Chris said, where's, where's the movie quotes? Where's the, where's the jokes? Like I, I want more of that. And so I went back and really kind of dove into that and tried to put a lot more of my personality into, uh, into the book in an article, you, like, to your point earlier, 1200 words, like, uh, and I think that's where most people get locked up in writing an article is they think, well, I, you know, I can't put together an article. Well, you're not writing the next great American novel. Like right. you're, you're putting together, uh, you know, 800 to 1200 words that covers a particular topic and gives a take home. Mm -hmm. Like get right. it done. Yeah. There's that quote of, you know, good is good enough, which is so hard to, to wrap your head around because we want to be so excellent and we want to write that perfect article when in reality, it's like, no, like if you get your point across and you, and you bring it together then it's probably going to resonate with the right people. If you try and make it too articulate and perfectionism comes in, then it's just, 
kind of a refusal to move forward. It's like, no, just get this done and move forward. And it's funny that you go into something different, which is like a book. And all of a sudden that word comes out, right? Like book and just the seriousness comes out of it. When in reality, it's like, no, it's still the same process. And there's almost such a correlation with that with training, right? It's like, if you know, you do something well and you progress with it, all of a sudden you do something different. You think you have to go into a different mentality. It's like, no, it's the same exact thing. Just kind of follow that same foundation. Absolutely. And I, you know, the old, the old saying is better is the enemy of good. Mm. And, um, you know, we, uh, from a medical standpoint, and and that's one of the, one of the um, people that I heard it from years ago was better is the enemy of good. And, you know, this individual was a surgeon and they would be in a surgery and they'd be like, you know, everything looks great, but I could make it better. Well, they're not closing up until two hours later because trying to make things better actually created five more problems that they then had to go go fix. So better is the enemy of good. And um, while we may have this overarching goal of putting out you know something that's great um, and and you still can, don't let better be the enemy of good. You know, you you get it to a point where it does what it's supposed to do, and you can always put out a second edition. You can always write another article. You can always clarify. Um, but people, um, I, I'm gonna. This will sound harsh, but people use that as a reason to not get things done. Right. And in the end, what succeeds is getting things done. Exactly. You know, it's funny. I um, I started reading uh, Julia Cameron's book, The Artist's Way, which is really like a 12-week course on writing and creative writing. And it's the 25th anniversary of it. And I don't know how many versions mm. that she's done in 25 years, but she put that quote in there of perfectionism. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but it was perfectionism is, is the refusal of letting yourself move forward. And it's like, that's it. It's like, and when you think about it, to become great at something, right? That just means that you need to keep doing it more and more, write another article afterwards, right? Or write another book afterwards. It's like, yeah, the first great American novel, it's, it's your, most people are not Harper Lee. You're not going to write it to kill a mockingbird on the first try and then just go from there. So just kind of keep working it and just keep writing it. hundred percent. And just, uh, you know, get it, get it through some people that you trust and, and that, you know, and um, regardless of your perspective on it, if, if they read it and they're like, yeah, this, Hey, good job. Mm-hmm. Run yeah. with it. Yeah. Like get it, get it out there. <laughs> One thing you mentioned uh, talking with Mimi is about using quotes to kind mm-hmm. of start your writing on that, which as soon as I listened to that, that was so fascinating. Cause that's how I do a lot of writing is I reach out quotes and I'm thinking, I'm like, maybe I stole that from you over the years. <laughs> and got a lot. I don't know where that came from, but it was fascinating to, to hear that. Was that something that you always did or was it just quotes that seem like something that have always really resonated with you in coaching and learning? It's a combination. Um, I think that um, it's, it's something that um, it became more and more of my writing as a way to get started. Um, so if, if I, if I look at a piece of paper or the screen and I'm like, right. Um, my brain goes, no. Uh, so for me, getting a topic or an area of interest or even tie-ins, like, uh, I wrote an article a while back on, uh, three, the three cleans, um, similar to the three amigos, but different. Very infamous. Um, infamous. <laughs> he's so famous. He's infamous. Um, 
uh, he has a plethora of, of uh, so we, we could keep going all day. Absolutely. We'll uh, just finish this all in movie books. That's going to be our life. <laughs> exactly. Um, so um, I, I went and looked up uh, architecture quotes and got quotes from architectures on structure and form. And because um, the, the kind of two-way street there, and I've talked about this a little bit more in some subsequent articles, um, you know, one of the, the uh, architecture um, maxims or guidelines is structure di- dictates form. Well, form also influences structure. And so it's not a one or the other. It's a two-way street and it's an interplay between those things. And so that was the, that was kind of the, the concept that came to mind. I went and found a quote and it helped me get started in, into writing the article and gave kind of a framework uh, for it. And so uh, obviously, as we've just dove down the uh, movie uh, quote rabbit hole, um, those are things that I use in teaching all the time. Um, I'm even willing to do it in places where it's not culturally relevant. That's the best um, spots. <laughs> <laughs> I've been many places overseas where I'm like, oh, you know, Sex Panther, 60% of the time it works every time. It's like, <laughs> what is he talking about? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, it's so, funny. I've, I've had a me and my sister have had that connection together where we'll just if we're together all of a sudden we'll just start spewing movie quotes, but such obscure movie quotes that maybe 5% of other people would get. And we just start cracking up by ourselves and everybody else looks at us like we're nuts, like from like, uh, like dumb and dumber. Like, yeah, we have plenty of towels. Thanks. It's like, it's not even a quote, but it's funny how like some of those things just connect and it, there's, it's a, a different way of communicating in some Absolutely. ways. So it's, it's, it's fascinating. Hundred um, percent. I bet he works out. Um, <laughs> but it is. It's. It's those. It's that ability to use kind of cultural references or um, uh, things that are are even if even if people don't get it, like they know it was it was at least an attempt uh, to connect on a different uh, level or to bring some levity to the situation. And, you know, from a teaching and a learning standpoint, I feel very strongly, if you're not laughing, you're not learning. Um, I think that learning should be fun. I, I think training should be fun. Um, I think most things in life should be fun. There's enough (laughs) others, you know, there's a, there's a Mike Myers quote that he got from his family that he said, you know, serious is just something you are until you have a chance to be silly again. Right. Uh, which would probably explain Mike Myers uh, in, in a bit of a nutshell. But um, was that from the love guru or is it actually that was inside the actor studio guild? Oh, wow. OK. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two two of the best inside the actor studio guild um, um, interviews to go back and look at are Mike Myers and Robin Williams. I remember the Robin Williams one. Yes. Oh. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, and j- just a window into, you know, somebody asked Oprah Winfrey one time, how do you interview Robin Williams? She's like, you don't, you get him out on stage and you ask the first question and then yeah. you don't know yeah. where it's going to go. Yeah. You try and keep the out of bounds lines in there and know when it's straying. Right. But just keep them in that, in that zone. And well, it's funny and from, from learning from you for so long, and I'm sure anybody who's you know taking your courses or learn from you can attest to the quotes that you use and making it fun. And I think it was Jerry Seinfeld quoted that, like anybody who makes you laugh, you instantly like at least a little bit for the rest of your life. 
You know, it's 100%. like, so, so if you can enjoy that part and, you know, it's funny, I was having a conversation with a client about this and I'm always spewing out quotes and stuff. And <laughs> it's always, she, cause she always kind of says the thing, like, there's nothing new under the sun. It's like, you know, it's a lot of the stuff that we're learning. It's like, yeah, it's kind of a different way of saying kind of the same thing. But I'm like, I think that's actually a path towards mastery and learning. It's like, if you can find those different quotes or find different ways to articulate the same thing, then if you're talking to another person who maybe knows more about architecture, like you said, and they know that all of a sudden you have that quote available, now they can understand something. Maybe they had no idea about strength or form, and that was a foreign concept, and now you related it to something that they know. Then all of a sudden you made an instant bond with that. So really on a, on a teaching perspective, using things like quotes and from different you know people, not just from Bruce Lee or from the people that you normally do, like go to different obscure sources and you might actually find the best way to communicate with somebody. Absolutely. And uh, that reminds me of a George Bernard Shaw quote that I used in, a, in an internal email. But uh, the quote was, the biggest illusion in communication is that it's happened. And Ooh. yeah, and, and that's um, so much of that plays into our assumptions. Well, I said that. Well, you might have said it, <laughs> but wow. the person didn't hear it. And mm-hmm. even if the person did hear it, I don't know about you, but I need to hear something two to three times before it actually makes it through the thick skull. Right. Right. <laughs> so uh, the Socratic method still works. Tell mm-hmm. them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them. And so that's, you know, that goes all the way back to uh, the ancient Greeks, where there's this acknowledgement that uh, saying it once, and this is one of my struggles from a social media and promotion standpoint. Um, there's, I get on, I've been, I've been on some sort of internet forum for 20 years. Um, I'm tired of internet forums <laughs> and, and answering the same question, but it's mm-hmm. new to the person that's asking it. Right, right. Um, and that's, that's something important to keep in mind as you kind of gather time and years is the person that's coming to and asking you that question that, that you've answered 20 times. And you're like, well, I've already answered that. Not for them. Right. That's interesting. It's, that's a great quote from who's a George Bernard Shaw. Yeah. He said that. Yeah. Cause he had the, one of my favorite quotes in there too, is, you know, you don't grow old because you don't, uh, you don't stop playing because you grow old, you grow old because you stop playing, you know, and the same thing, which is such a line of intuitive training in there. Mm -hmm. But in that, you know, in that aspect, I used to tell that to uh, young kids who used to work the front desk when I was at a commercial gym that I would go through the line of like, Hey, this is what happens in these doors. Like we had 10 trainers. They all, they're full time. People are spending thousands of dollars a year doing that. We're having people come in, fixing, rehabilitating their bodies, like, changing their lives. But when somebody walks in here for the first time, they don't know any of that except you. You're the first person they see. So smile, greet them, make them feel good because they can't know about any other stuff that's in between those doors if you don't get to them first. Absolutely. The uh, the former, I think it was the former CEO of uh, Disney has some, and his name just went right out of my, out, out of my head. Um, he has a couple of leadership and business books out there. And uh, in one of them, he, uh, he asked like his 11 year old niece, like when you go in someplace of business, um, what, what, what are you, what are you looking for? And, you know, it's 11 year old. And she says, well, uh, I want it to be clean and I want people to be nice. 
that's pretty much, you know, that, that you can't say it much more succinctly from, from the mouths of babes, uh, sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so that sort of mindset, um, and, and it's the roadhouse rules, right? So to, to go further down the movie quote, uh, rabbit hole, um, expect the unexpected. Um, oh, let's just go down a Swayze <laughs> line right now. This will be amazing. Great. <laughs> crazy for Swayze. Um, but, but, you know, but the last rule is be nice until it's time to not be nice. Right. Well, when do you that? know? You I'll will not know. <laughs> you are the, you are the bouncers. I am the cooler. Uh, oh gosh. Now I might need to go and watch that again now, just because that movie is phenomenal on that. Absolutely. So thank you for bringing but, that back to light. Absolutely. <laughs> but that, that sort of, um, you know, I want people to be nice and I want it to be clean. Like that's, um, I, I've run into very few situations in my life where doing those two things, uh, weren't at least mostly successful. Um, so I, and you know, that, uh, yeah, yeah. it's, well, nice. I think, and well, the last time we spoke to, we, you know, you came back from your, uh, event in France, the art of coaching where you worked mm-hmm. with that plus an SFG event. And we just ended up going down that rabbit hole, which it really comes down to, like those two things with coaches as well. It's like, I think in the coaching world, especially young coaches get so serious about all the technical things that you need to learn and apply, which absolutely is incredibly valuable. And you need to get your reps in to understand that. But the first thing always when we're working in a people business is first be clean, like take a shower, be presentable in there. You know, I think in this world too, especially since everybody's working from home, it's like get the sweats off once in a while and like, put on some, some nice clothes and just be nice to the person first and listen to them. And it's like, yeah. cause if, cause if you don't do that, then you could be the smartest SOB in the world, but nobody's going to listen to you because they don't want to be around an asshole. Exactly. And I, I, I've probably said this on this podcast and, and others. Um, I have, I have warned new trainers many times who come out, you know, they come out with a college degree and, and um, you know, they have all the theoretical background and I'm like, you are going to get out earned 10 to one by somebody with a $99 online certification and a personality because people enjoy being around them. And I see substandard trainers uh, all the time uh, who are hugely successful because their personality and people like being around them and they're willing to work with them. I mean, you're, people are trusting you with their life. Uh, and that sounds uh, hyperbolic, but it's true. People are trusting you with your life, their money, and their time. And time is is uh, the most valuable resource that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not making more of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you, you can't print it. <laughs> you can't print it, and you can't. Yeah. It's it is the the resource uh, that that we have. And when somebody gives you your time, um, or pays you to be part of their time, Mm -hmm. you need to take that very seriously. Mm -hmm. And part of that is being nice, being fun, being, you know, good to be around. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, you know, that, that's a huge aspect of, of all of this. And I, and I, to tie back into the writing thing, like I, I try to make that part of the the writing. Like I, I want it to be, I want it to be fun. I was going to go, that's where exactly where I was going back to is tying that right back into writing. It's like, you think like we need to be so serious in writing and get every word down and stuff, but 
it's still, it's an entertainment type piece. Like I think there's, there's times and places of doing all the, the deep research of eccentric training or anything like that on the time. But when we're talking about programming and intuition, it's like, that's going to be an individualized basis a lot more for a piece. So getting the framework down and making it enjoyable and understandable for anybody to go in and apply, then the entertainment factor, you know, needs to be in there as well. Yeah. I, um, why so serious? <laughs> do you want to know how I got these scars? Um, you know, I, I do think that that's a, and, and I suffer from, uh, my, my parents will tell you, I was never young. Um, I've always been kind of an old soul and, and a, and a more serious, uh, individual. Um, and, uh, I could, I could loosen up and, you know, people always, well, if you could go back to your 20 year old self, what, what would you say to yourself? Um, and the answer quite simply for me is relax, dude. Like take a breath, take a breath and relax <laughs> mm-hmm. have some more fun. Um, okay. I've been, I've been told that too. What do you think that means? Like, what is an old soul when people say that? Like, what do you think anybody means when they say that? I, well, I, of course, uh, take it as a positive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they might not mean it that way, right. but I'm going to take it that way. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's like, you know, when you have like one finger that's longer than the, than the others mm-hmm. and people are like, Oh, that's a sign of intelligence. It, yeah. it, pretty, pretty much any physical anomaly becomes a sign of intelligence because people don't want to feel like, <laughs> like it's an anomaly. Right. Yeah. So they yeah. said, right. It's like, yeah, the, no, the number one, you know, authority in the world is they, you know, they, they said it out there. Exactly. Um, but, but I, I, I think from that, you know, old soul standpoint, I, I think there's just a, um, it, it's a, it's a maturity. It's a, it's a, you know, yeah, I, I guess that's how I yeah. would, would ballpark it. And so, you know, you certainly meet people who you recognize um, are not uh, right. that, that mature. And yeah. and I don't mean that in a negative way. Like yeah. uh, some of the, some of my best friends are <laughs> float, float in that direction. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're, they're a little unpredictable and they're, they're mm-hmm. certainly fun to be around. Right. Um, but I think there, I think there's an introspection just in it too, of like just looking a little, maybe just a layer or two deeper than just staying on the surface. You know, it's like, I mean, everything now is seems like it is, everything's on the surface, especially in something like a social media platform. It's like, you're just, you're seeing the snapshot of it where, you know, old soul is more like a portrait. It's there's layers upon layers that are going in it. And, you know, to, to look deeper into that, like it's going to take a little bit more time than just seeing what's in front of you. And then just going in. Well, and, you know, early experiences, obviously, you know, tie mm-hmm. into this. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic household and and had kind of a challenging, you know, upbringing. And mm-hmm. uh, so that that ages you, um, depending on how you respond to it. Um, and there, there are very classical models of how children respond to, to that sort of uh, background and, and mm-hmm. upbringing. So, you know, there's there's certainly uh, reasons to think that uh, we're, we're now we're down the rabbit hole of nature versus nurture. Right. Where mm-hmm. um, was it just natural or was it something that developed very early yeah. because of some early experiences and challenges? So mm-hmm. it's a it's a multilayered uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, most people who are into writing as you are, are also big readers. And I know we've had mm-hmm. some conversations about, you know, different reading on both the fiction and nonfiction. So in your reading, do you steer more towards one versus the other? Do you do more nonfiction or fiction? 
I try to keep a mix mm-hmm. um, because uh, a couple of my favorite authors are Preston and Child. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, their Pendergast series. And now they have another series with, with Corey Swanson and uh, some of their main characters, which people are like, huh? Um, but Preston and Child, just remember. Um so, and James Rollins uh, are kind of, that. that's kind of two, um, well, it's three writers, but it's two different series mm-hmm. that I keep, that, that I keep an eye on. And that's just, that allows me to unplug, to uh, have some mental mm-hmm. relaxation uh, time. Uh, although they cover some very interesting topics at times mm-hmm. and, and they're, they're really entertaining. Um, I try to keep a variety of uh, business books uh, in the mix. Uh, I'm currently listening to Think Again um, about, uh, and for somebody who leans in the know-it-all direction, um, <laughs> which my, some people who know me who might listen to this are like, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but for somebody who leans in the know-it-all direction, it's it's definitely a great reminder to mm-hmm. um, you know keep keep the doors open and, and always be reevaluating uh, sort mm-hmm. of your, your mindset. So it's, and it, it frames it in some very interesting ways where very early on when he's talking about uh, how we usually respond to either presenting our ideas or having our ideas challenged is we tend to go into three roles. We go into preacher, politician, or prosecutor. Um, and so if, if I'm trying to convince you I'm going to be the preacher or the politician, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm going to try to give you the gospel and, and get you to come over in, in my direction yes. or be the politician and try to you know manipulate you a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, or I'm going to go prosecutor. When you come at me and you challenge me, well, I'm going to prosecute your argument. I'm going to, I'm going to prove to you that, that I'm right. Mm. Um, whereas you want to approach it like a scientist. You know, a scientist, you know, I got a hypothesis. I got an idea. This might be true. Let's find out. Ah. Uh-huh. And let's constantly reevaluate where we are in that process as mm-hmm. new information comes in. So, you know, just framing it uh, in those different ways, I think, is is, is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other books that I've read recently, or listened to and or read, um, uh, Escaping the Rabbit Hole, uh, which kind of really goes down the conspiracy theory uh, idea and why people fall into conspiracy theories, go down the rabbit hole, so to speak, and how do they come out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really interesting, especially nowadays with just how yes. prevalent conspiracy theories and, and things are. I, that was a really interesting book to read. And, you know, looking back in time, you know, um, extreme ownership, yep. dichotomy of leadership, um, legacy, legacy, um, yeah. checklist manifesto, why we make mistakes. Like there's there's definitely mm-hmm. been a lot of books that are in that kind of business um, sort of mindset that have been very impactful. So mm-hmm. I always try to keep a mix going of, right. of different books. And I'm also, uh, books I enjoyed as a kid were more fantasy and sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And so like, I'm going to reread Sword of Shannara, uh, which was the first okay. Terry, Terry Brooks mm-hmm. book. And I've actually read pretty much every Terry Brooks book. And he's, he's brought that Shannara series mm-hmm. full circle to a conclusion. Um, so, you know, pretty, Pretty interesting, okay. but um, did you ever yeah. go like the Robert Jordan path, like the Wheel of Time, at all? No, um, I think that, and I don't know when that came out. Um, yeah. but I may have just missed it. You know, okay. I had I had moved into a different because I I I wouldn't say that I'm a an aggressive consumer of fantasy right. and sci-fi. Pardon me. Um, certainly, as a kid, I read um, 
the Tolkien books yep. and, mm-hmm. and, um, and then reread them before the movies came out. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't get a thing. Right. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't understand anything that was going on uh, yeah. in, in those books. Cause they're written with these layers. Um, yeah. Harry Potter being somewhat similar in that, uh, you know, there was initial kickback on that because um, mm-hmm. magic, and, you know, things like that. And yeah, it's, it's loyalty, it's friendship. It's, uh, you know, there's, there's such great themes. That hero's uh, journey. It's that hero's journey, that Joseph Campbell work. And yeah, wheel of time is interesting. Uh, I have a a friend that was getting me into it. It's kind of like Harry Potter on steroids in many ways of the scientific side of it. And then a buddy of mine, Tyler got me into the name of the wind with Patrick Rothfuss, which was Mm. phenomenal, but you were the one that got me into Preston and child, which I absolutely loved And I don't know if this has happened with you, but when I started reading more fiction, like I did that at the same way of like, just kind of the mental clarity, just kind of the fun and enjoyment of it. And uh, that actually helped me in getting some thoughts out and thinking with writing, like doing different, you know, just, you know, short pieces or some different projects that I'm working on. Actually the fiction side of reading helped me a lot more in writing than all the nonfiction that was reading over and over again. So a lot of people I've talked to who are avid readers, I said, throw in some fiction, just something fun, just a story in there. You know, usually it takes half the time than the nonfiction usually too. And it's enjoyable, but there's actually, I think a piece of writing, if you're passionate about that and you're trying to excel in that, that there's something of great quality there. 100%. Hundred percent, and I think that uh, it is that um, I, I'm a I'm a big fan of this idea of background processing, mm-hmm. um, and that um, there is a mindset out there that basically, uh, knowing that we have many many billions of connections and neurons uh, in the bowl of gelatin, um, you know we we remember way more than we think we do. And a lot of times it's, it's relaxing and letting your brain do what it needs to do. Um, which talking about the brain is always fascinating to me, um, how it works. Um, a, a book on that, uh, two books on that end would be on intelligence by Jeff Hawkins and the body has a mind of its own by Sandra Blakesley. Um, those are two really, and they're several years old by now, I'm sure more recent books have been Blake Slate. Did she write something else as well? That name sounds familiar. The body keeps the score. I think, did she, did she okay. write that? She might, I know that name. I think there's another book that she's done too. That was, that was uh, pretty popular. Yeah. So anyway, how the brain mm-hmm. works is, is fascinating and it's why we've never been able to recreate it from an artificial intelligence standpoint. We, we don't understand intelligence. How the heck are we <laughs> going to make it artificial? Um, so, and that was Jeff Hawkins whole idea. When he wrote the book, he's like, we don't even know what we're talking about. We don't even know what intelligence is or how the brain really processes. And it's fascinating when you peel a little bit of the layers back. Um, but I, I, I firmly believe in this idea that, uh, you know, there's this background processing. And when I get hung up on something, um, I know that I should pause and I should allow for some of that background processing to happen. And it might delay a project. It might, it might delay a response, mm-hmm. but there's usually a reason that my brain is background processing on that and not coming to uh, a quicker conclusion mm-hmm. and a more actionable uh, standpoint. So just kind of being okay with that and, and um, letting, 
the bowl of gelatin do its thing. So. Right. That's so interesting. I think, it, I think you might've told me the quote of like, when you're, when you're reading about the brain, it's something literally trying to understand itself. Exactly. Which is, which is kind of a fascinating thing to think of, but to, talking about the work that you, uh, that you're reading about thinking was so fascinating. What you said is the, the prosecutor, the preacher or the politician yeah. in there. I listened to a, a podcast with a gentleman, his name is Daryl Davis or Daryl Dawkins. I forget which it was, but an interesting guy who is a, he's a musician. He's a black man who has converted over 200 KKK members to turn in their robes by just from listening to him and went over the process of how he, you know, does that. Yeah. And he talks so much about when we're thinking and we have a conversation and talking about somebody who their viewpoints on stuff is so out of left field and, you know, is not true and against yours. But he said the normal thing that somebody would say, especially he said somebody like me, like a black man, would be just to combat it right away. And as soon as you do that with somebody, they just put the walls up. So what he did is he just listened to everything that they said, let them go through all their rhetoric and propaganda that they went through and let them speak everything out. So once you get somebody to listen fully there, then when you start talking, you can't change anybody's mind, you said, but you can offer a different perspective. And it's like, I think that's the thing about thinking is we think like, oh, you can change somebody's mind by just preaching to them what you believe or scream at them like a prosecutor say, no, this is what you have to do. When in reality, it's like, no, like listen and then offer another perspective and keep working it. It's the only way that you can really infiltrate somebody's mind who's so closed minded. And we get so polarized in our viewpoints on stuff that the only way if you're going to have a conversation to shift somebody's agenda, you think you can do it in five minutes, you're not going to do that. Like if this is going to take time over and over again to just provide that different perspective. Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we, we do fall into those roles very quickly and um, the, the response of putting the walls up and, and being in that situation where somebody, you know, you, you're, you're not going to get through you're, yeah. because you've, you've now become um, quote the enemy. And, and the walls are up. Um, the, the other book that's, uh, that's spinning around in the back of my head is uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Um, and I'm, yeah. I'm struggling to pull the, the author's name. Is it uh, Daniel, Daniel Ker Kerman? Ker uh, or something like that. I actually just ordered that. Um, I haven't read it yet, but that's on my next to-do list. It's, uh, it's a book. Um, mm -hmm. there's a lot to read in there and, you know, he, he certainly has some great information in there and it kind of goes back to, you know, there's all kinds of tie-ins with, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's blink and, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, a, a couple of other books. Um, but, um, escaping the rabbit hole would be interesting for you from that standpoint of, and I know I'm going bouncing, I'm like a ping pong ball at the moment. Um, but escaping the rabbit hole would be interesting from that changing a mindset perspective uh, because it ties in a lot with what you just said that gentleman was talking about. And um, you know, how do you influence somebody who's, you know, they have gone down this conspiracy theory rabbit hole. And so now um, there's just this completely different mindset. And, and, you know, the, the first reaction people have is usually to attack that. And mm. um, that's not how, to, the, to this gentleman's point, yeah. that's not how you start influencing somebody. You, right. you actually have to listen to them. Okay. And, um, and maybe you find like one common thing. Because the one thing like with conspiracy theories is like, well, well, you know, do you trust the government? It's like, hey, government's done some pretty messed up things. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. I, I, I get it. Mm -hmm. 
But in order to believe this, you have to believe that. Exactly. Yeah. Agree on the fact. Are there conspiracies out there? 100%. There's stuff happening all the time that we don't know about and and things are being manipulated in different direction. Doesn't mean everything is a conspiracy. Right. It it doesn't mean that some of these more extreme ideas are, are true in any way, shape or form. Right. Yeah. It's not a lasso that hooks another thing into it because of the same thing. It's very separate, which is interesting because I'm going to try and segue that completely into strength training right now on that, because that's what I think is fascinating. Um, Left turn. Exactly. Well, I think, I think I actually can do this. I'm going to try and tie all this together here, but, you know, talking about, especially in the, in the world of strength, and there's this thing that has been some debate always about perfect form and the perfect technique of stuff and people we get down into the rabbit hole of like, you need to do it this way on it. When in reality, like we all know there's a gray area in there, but still it's like when you, when you learn something or you learn a technique and people say that all the time, like form, like form is key form is key. It's like, I believe, yes, form is important, but from the work you've done, especially with strong first in the manuals, there's standards. It's like, there's a difference between trying to achieve perfection and following the standards from there. So in the work that you've seen, have you seen a lot of people almost misconstrue this thought of like, you need to have perfect form in everything that you do? Sure. And I, I think that it, there's, there's a couple of different ways this usually goes uh, with, with folks. Um, one from a, from a, just a human mental standpoint, we love one answer. Doesn't matter the topic. We love having one answer. And, and something to coordinate around. So when somebody says this is perfect form, there, there's a piece of our brain that goes, okay, that's, that's my answer. That's what I'm going to shoot for. Um, the reality is, as far as human movement is concerned, there are certain things that we, there's, there's a blueprint. Um, but as the old military saying goes, no plan survives contact with the enemy. Uh, and yes, you are the enemy. And so when we when we have this plan to get to a certain place, um, there's going to be things that we have to adapt to you uh, as the individual. And so a lot of times we lose the student or we lose the individual in that kind of one answer mindset of this is how you have to do it. Um, so having said that, like the kettlebell swing, for example, the, the hinge, I want shoulder above hip, hip above knee. Now that's going to look a bunch of different ways, long torso, short torso, long femur, short femur, um, just different body structures are going to bring a different look to that. But there's a general thing that I'm shooting for. Um, and I'm okay with having that variance, uh, in there. Mm-hmm. So, um, from a student perspective and from a coaching perspective, there's a mindset, um, where, um, from a coaching perspective, it's the nothing's ever good enough mindset. I can always make it better. I can tweak that. I can change that. This can be better, 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 better. And yeah, right. Mastery is something mastery and perfection is this pie in the sky goal. Um, we're shooting for the stars and hoping to still end up on the moon, right? right? Um, that sort of thing. So, but and it, and it is a journey and I'm 20 years into swinging a bell and I think I might get to it, get a great swing one day. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm still working on it. it. Swings pretty good, but I'm still, I'm still working on it every time I swing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But for that coach for whom nothing's ever good enough, there are students out there for whom nothing's ever good enough. Like being told that they're not doing it perfectly fits with them. Mm-hmm. There's, there's part of their mentality is they're not good enough. Their form's not good enough. So having somebody reinforcing that is actually a comfortable place. Mm. And so the, 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 the constant critic of the uh, constant critic style of coaching mm-hmm. where you're always, there's always something to change or fix um, actually will resonate with a variety of people because it, it reinforces something that they already believe about themselves. And so not to go to Dr. Phil on, mm-hmm. on uh, the, the whole situation, but you know, that that's a, a kind of a psychological aspect to coaching. Um, the flip side of that is everything's always great, right? It's, it's the coach that's, yeah. uh, you know, love and light. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, how was that? Great. That was fantastic. And to, there are students out there who want that. Mm-hmm. They don't want to change anything though. They, they don't want criticism. They don't handle it that well. Um, so they want the coach for whom everything's always great. Mm-hmm. So these two polar opposites and these two extremes, while they may fit and work mentally with a variety of people, obviously they're both, they're both wrong in certain ways <laughs> right. um, for the coach that everything's in the, in, to the coach and the person for whom everything's always great. How are you going to ever change anything? How are you going to improve? Yeah. You, you have to be told at some point you're rounding your back or right. you're doing, you know, you're going into valgus or you're, yeah, we could make that better. Your breathing's a little off. Like you're going to have to hear at some point, there's a way to make what you're doing better. Mm-hmm. But if you've already told them it's great, but then you tell them to change something, wait, was it great? Cause now you're telling me to change something like those <laughs> it's incongruent. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can say compliment sandwich. I can say, Hey, you know, that, that was a really great swing. I I really like the effort you're putting in. Hey, on this next set, let's focus on just standing up and being really kind of standing plank and being your full height at the finish of your swing. Mm -hmm. But boy, I really like how you synced your breath on that last set. Yes. Like bringing, bringing that in there allows you to be the critic, but with support and to highlight a thing that, could be uh, right. improved. Right. Now, and if you're on that all, nothing's all, nothing's ever good enough side of things, whether student or coach, um, how are you going to actually reinforce that person? Right. Like, I, I, you know, I'm good with constructive criticism. When, when somebody looks at something I'm doing and go, well, you know, you, you could do this better. Okay, cool. Great. Like that's, I, I look for those opportunities and it's reframing those into, into opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the constant critic, the constant encourager, uh, both student and coach, um, there's a middle ground where you're allowed to bring things, bring areas of opportunity to the front uh, while still reinforcing and, and moving things forward in a positive uh, fashion. Mm-hmm. Right. Have you seen, like, I mean, cause you've been coaching for a long time now, have you seen it shift at all in that like mindset or has it always kind of been, there's always been these people that are the polars on both sides. Have you seen it shift at all? Do you think over the last few years or as you've evolved as a coach? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always use the pendulum uh, analogy, right? Mm-hmm. We're always swinging from one extreme to the other, gotcha. you mm-hmm. know, from, from movement screening 
several years ago, it was if you're not assessing, you're guessing. And now we've swung over to the other side of the the, the mm-hmm. uh, pendulum, where if you're a, if you're doing these assessments, you're an idiot. Just just watch people move, and you'll figure it out. Like we've we've swung <laughs> from polar opposite, polar opposite. Um, the truth is somewhere in the middle, right? Where right. you know assessment should guide some initial decision making, and then you still have to be a good coach. And, and move things forward. Um, so I think the same things happened. If we use the get up as an example, um, and I'm I'm to blame, I'll raise my hand and say, I'm part of the problem uh, because Gray and I put out, um, and Dr. Mark Chang put out, you know, kettlebells from the ground up, Kayla Stennis, and we set out kind of a, a precise method for the, for the get up. Well, we had people that quit doing get ups with anything more than a 12 kilo because it wasn't perfect. My hips dropped a quarter inch in this position or that position. And it's like, oh, we went too far. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Take everybody take a breath. Everybody take a breath. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the fact that this happens. And, you know, there's a difference between being um tested and trying to meet certain requirements. And there's a difference between what you're doing in your own training. Um I, I put things on social media all the time. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying it's going to pass SFG standards every time I do something. Right. Um, I think it's pretty close, but you know, there's, there's certainly opportunities yeah. for improvement. So everybody not, comment on a check now, check marks now on everything that he puts out. <laughs> exactly. Did you mean to do this? Um, but you know, from, from that standpoint, there's, there's this uh, opposite thing where if, if I'm testing um, SFG one swing standard, is chest height, you know, straight arm for, for the swing. Um, in my own practice, I'm usually popping the head to head level or just above. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing a pretty high swing. I wouldn't want to see that if I was testing for the SFG1, right. but uh, I'm not um, testing for the SFG1. So right. some variance in the swing <laughs> is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Again, it goes back to that one answer thing. And once you put a standard out there, People think that's the only way to do it. No, right. that's a way to do it to pass that, check that box, uh, pass that for that group. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many ways to get things done. But once you step into that arena and you're going to be uh, held to those standards, meet those standards. So right. both are true. That's, you know, it's interesting because I, I was in that mindset for so long of like, this is the way to do it, especially in the hard style methods, which I believe in so much. But then I got a chance to speak with quite a few people who have been in the, the GS world and the kettlebell sport world and somebody like Dennis Vasilov, who technique on that is could look very, very different on both ends of it. But talk about efficiency and strength and movement on that's like I would challenge anybody to go talk to to Dennis about if he's doing the right things, you know, for longevity, for health, for strength, for all those things. So it's it's not wrong. It's not right. It's different. It's a different mentality for that sport. And what I've I love what you brought up there about um, kettlebells from the ground up because phenomenal manual. I remember I read it early on when it first came out, but I think you either you or um, might've been Pavel that I heard from that of saying like, don't use perfect form as an excuse to not get strong. It's like, you need to go out and you need to get strong. And I think that's something, especially as coaches, it's if you're challenging a client, if they've proven, okay, they can work on this. It might be something that's not exactly perfect right off the bat, but if that's the next step to 
push themselves to challenge. On the physical side, yes, you're going to get a lot stronger, but on the mental side too of the capability that somebody might see, you need to, to challenge yourself and push yourself. And if you only stay within that, I need to do this exactly perfect every time. I think you're cutting yourself so short of what you could possibly do to really build your strength over the long term. 100%. I'll use myself as an example, as I am apt to do. Um, it's, all, it's all about me. <laughs> well, enough about me. Let me, let me tell you about me. Um, but my military press right now, like I'm, I'm in transition from the 32 kilo being my weight, main iron cardio weight to the 36 kilo being my main weight and trying to do a little more with the 40 kilo. Well, there are times with the 40 kilo, especially my left side, where some leg action gets involved. It doesn't stop me from doing the work with the 40 kilo. Mm -hmm. I just recognize that as time goes by, I'm going to look to eliminate that little bit of leg uh, drive that gets involved in my 40 kilo press mm -hmm. on the left. Um, so there's a recognition of something that's not a strict press that's sneaking into my work, mm -hmm. but it's not stopping me from doing the work. Right. The only way I'm going to get stronger and, and, and get past that is to do the work, not to back off and, and quit um, challenging that pattern. So it is, uh, but there has to be a recognition, mm -hmm. you know, for a lot of people out there who don't catch the fact that there's some leg drive getting involved in their press, they go to something like the beast tamer or the SFG two for their half body weight press, where we have a standard that you need to meet and they fail to meet that standard because something snuck into their technique that they didn't catch. Mm, yes. The bell was going up. So to them must be successful. And in, in a way, yeah, in a way, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, you have to have some mindfulness and awareness and, and catch those things and, mm -hmm. and work on those things, but it's always a teeter totter. The only way you challenge and, and actually cement your strength and technique is to go up a notch. Yes. And it's going to, it's going to reveal mm -hmm. what needs to be revealed as long as you're mindful and aware. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I've, it's, it's interesting hearing you speak about it because I've seen it in your training because you've been doing iron cardio now work for a while. And you said you, I mean, started after treatment and, you know, getting through that got back to the 24 building back up then really worked in the 32. It said you worked on the 32 for quite a long period of time. Now the 36 is feeling like the next bell to really challenge. It's almost like that dictator bell for you. But I mean, you spent quite a long time in that 32 bell of like, that's the bell to really just dial everything in till eventually now you built up to the 36. So it's kind of like, you don't have to do different things, but okay, now it's time to challenge. It's time to boost it up, go to the next level a little bit at a time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that is the, also the long-term approach. I mean, I, I started training back to training. I'll have to look back through my notes, uh, but it was a, a couple months after treatment. I mean, I needed um, the, one of the things about radiation and, and the style of treatment that I had is uh, it, it takes a while. Uh, it's active within your system for a very long time uh, after the fact. And, and to the, even to the point that even uh, in May, it'll be two years since the end of treatment. And um, I could still see changes in my tissues um, between now and five years from now, where that radiation just has created a change. 
Um, so, you know, that's, that's just something I need to be mindful of and, and realize, but, you know, I started back to training and, um, I would say for the first year I was pretty conservative. Um, and then I've been able to push and, you know, I'm accomplishing workloads now that yesterday I did uh, a total of 180 snatches between the 28 and 32 kilo bells, uh, and mm-hmm. a good, a good workload. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started back to training, a, a 50, an NL of 50 would crush me and, mm-hmm. and have me really fatigued. So, you know, it's, it's definitely just been that progressive journey and, and, um, spending time, mm-hmm. you know, put the time in, put the training in. Uh, be consistent. Yeah. And enjoy it, right? <laughs> enjoy the, just the joy of uh, training. <laughs> yeah. I, it, it is. Uh, I, I love training. Um, and I, I, I kind of don't care what I'm doing. Like I, <laughs> I know I'm going to swing, snatch, clean, press, squat. Like I, I there are some very, there's some things I know I'm going to get done within the course of a week or a month. Yeah. Um, but I, whatever it is, like I, I enjoy doing it. Exactly. Um, I, I want to move. I want to be strong. And uh, we can, in a later podcast, we can peel the onion on why strength becomes a focus for some and not others. But uh, the, Ooh, um, okay. <laughs> the whole, trilogy. Whole, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whole other topic. Um, but, but consistency is the key. Yeah. And uh, you know, the six weeks of training, followed by eight weeks of not training, followed by 12 weeks of training, followed by six weeks of not training. Um, yeah, probably not getting very far down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, I think the whole theme of everything to bring everything together is either the joy of training or why so serious. I think that's going to be the, the topic, the, the headline on this one here, um, I so <laughs> which is just a blast. So last question I'm going to ask you because I've wanted to ask you this for a while. So DC versus Marvel overall battle. Who wins in the end? Oh boy. Um, well, I, I don't know who is the Superman on the Marvel side. Mm. Right. That's um, a quote right there. <laughs> well, and, and soup is getting ready to have some challenges with black Adam. Cause if you, if you go the direction that Dwayne Johnson and the DC universe are going to take black Adam, mm-hmm. like there's going to be some, some serious competition for soups. Uh, that he's going to have to deal with. And, and right off the top of my head, I think there are villains in the, the Marvel universe that could challenge uh, Superman. Uh, but I can't think of a, of a Marvel. Well, having said that, yeah, there's a couple of people that are just freakishly, but they get into mm-hmm. like this, this mental uh, power aspect that, um, you know, they can, tear universes apart just by disassembling the atoms of a universe because right. they wanted to, they thought of it and it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's some wildly, uh, yeah. Mar- Marvel gets into some pretty freaky stuff. Um, it, uh, yeah. And I, yeah. I think, I think you, um, uh, multiverse of madness is kind of the, uh, for most of people who haven't read the comics and, and don't know how deep down some of those rabbit holes Marvel mm-hmm. goes, um, you know, Dr. Strange and, and then moving into multiverse of madness is kind of that window into there's some freaky stuff going on here. Um, yeah. There's some weird stuff. But, <laughs> That's uh, it. I, everybody knows the, the kind of the, the normal Stan Lee stuff, but he had a wild side. That was some deeper stuff that was going on. Um, even getting into the whole silver surfer, surfer universe of that is right. a very strange avenue to go down. So 
Well, I mean, you know, Galactus in, in, in and of itself and, and, mm. and, you know, the silver surfer being his, his harbinger and, and uh, some of the, the, the things there, I mean, there's, there's, there's just weird stuff, but there was, that was a great thing about the comics though. Right. It was this freedom to, to go down all of these, these different paths yeah. and uh, to, to do things that were culturally, culturally relevant at the time. Uh, Black <laughs> Panther being a tremendous example uh, of the time it came out and, and the <laughs> message that it, that it provided Luke Cage being, being another example um, mm-hmm. of, of a character that came out and, and uh, was just as a, a, an example um, and a culturally relevant mm-hmm. example that people needed to see. Um, so I, I think that, uh, you know, comic books, and it's interesting if you go back and, and M. Night Shyamalan's uh, comic book trilogy was un, Unbroken or Unbreakable. Unbreakable, yeah. Un, unbreakable. And then um, the, the the middle one was... Oh, with, Split. Uh, split, yeah. split. Split. And then, and then Mr. Glass, yeah. Together in Mr. Glass. Um, there's a narrative in there of um, maybe these aren't, uh, maybe these are allegories and not necessarily fantasy. Uh, maybe this is an example of something that's possible within within uh, human nature. And that was kind of the, the final thing within, you know, Mr. Glass is, you know, we're not the only ones, you know, there's people out there that have extraordinary abilities, mm-hmm. but it is um, maybe these, and, and we, we say it all the time that, you know, um, these stories usually have a kernel of truth. Yes. Well, what's, what's the kernel of truth within this sort of universe? Yes. Um, so I, I think that uh, it, it was, it was interesting to kind of, and, and to have that brought kind of full circle within that last movie and in his comic book trilogy, um, I think was, uh, was really interesting. Oh, that's interesting. I have to go back and watch the Mr. Glass one now. Cause I only saw the first two. So, oh uh, yeah, you. Uh, so, so first off, Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, oh, amazing! Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. I mean, yeah. what do you and James McAvoy? Yeah, and John McClane. So and and John McClane. <laughs> I I tell you, when you watch Mister Glass and you see James McAvoy's performance in uh, all of the different uh, characters that he portrays, um, wow, okay. um, really impressive. Um, so yeah, that's. That's kind of, I think that's a, um, I don't want to say it's a practical, <laughs> practical <laughs> example, but uh, the, the mindset of mm-hmm. um, may, maybe these are more allegory than uh, fantasy. That is so cool. Like you said, there is that kernel of truth. And I think that's such an interesting thing about stories, you know, and why they're so, you know, important. That's why I think fictional stories, even they have that kernel of truth. There's the, there's a lot of human psychology behind it. I mean, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey is in all of these you know, that if you really go into it. So I think it's fascinating, but yeah. Brett, it is always a blast to have you on. I really appreciate it. And again, just uh, not just for the episode, but you know, you've been such a, a huge inspiration to me and have helped me so much over the years to become not only my mentor, but just such a great friend. So I really appreciate everything that you do. Thank you, sir. It's been, uh, been wonderful to be an honor to be part of the journey. Absolutely. So, okay. Um, Listeners, thank you so much. Uh, You know where to follow Brett. Go check him out on IG, Facebook, all that good stuff. I'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you like the show, please give it a five-star review. Give it a thumbs up, all that good stuff. And if you want to get the inside scoop on all new episodes coming up, behind-the-scenes insights, and free training resources, then you can join the Strength Connection private Facebook group now. Just go to Facebook groups, type in the Strength Connection, and join in. Also, don't forget to subscribe. See you soon.